should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, Wednesday, um, uh, we're getting closer and closer to Friday. Soon to be President Donald Trump uh, will be inaugurated, and uh, we're talking about that all week long. Just a, an hour or so ago, if you are listening to or the news and or tuning into major net network news, you obviously might have listened to President Obama address um, the press for the very last time. Some things that I took from that was uh, basically admitting that President-elect Donald Trump may not take his advice on issues as he uh, won an election opposed to a number of President Obama's initiatives. And so he hopes that, you know, once President-elect Donald Trump gets into office and hit with the complexities of those issues, such as Obamacare, his thinking might shift. Um I also heard, you know, Pre President Barack Obama talk uh, about LGBTQ equal rights and the progress under his administration, brought up don't ask, don't tell, marriage equality, obviously, transgender rights. Um, it, it, I don't know. It, it just feels it feels really, really, really sad, I think, for, for a lot of us to, to, to think of the last eight years as a honeymoon. And now we're 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 moving into a time of uncertainty. The LGBTQ community is obviously not the only community that has come under attack and or feeling the uncertainty of what this new administration could possibly do in terms of uh, regressing or, or, or moving back in terms of progress as far as equal rights. And, and some of it can be ex incredibly harmful. But everyone from, you know, those concerned of women's rights, obviously the Muslim community, the, the immigration or immigrant community and people of color, those, you know, who it sounds like everyone else but Donald Trump is what it really does sound like. And so today I thought it would be appropriate to focus on two groups, um, one on women's rights and kind of what people are feeling in terms of what might happen under President-elect Donald Trump's um, administration and also focus on the Muslim community. And so let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is the CEO of the Islamic Networks Group, ING. And uh, let's welcome Maha El Janati to the program. Maha, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. 
So as I mentioned, you know, a lot of us, I think the the rest of the country, aside from uh, anyone who looks like Donald Trump, acts like Donald Trump, lives like Donald Trump, is concerned about him becoming the next president of the United States. I, I just want to, you know, the, a lot of people who have been tuned into this whole entire election has heard of the absurd comments that he has made regarding the Muslim community, uh, regarding, you know, terrorism even, uh, to the point where there are rumors that he maybe, you know, wanting to form a registry for for Muslims and and uh, anyone trying to enter the country could be assumed Muslim which is obviously incredibly dangerous um, just recently Michael Moore who is the very progressive radical liberal documentarian and filmmaker and liberal activist had said that under you know president-elect Donald Trump's reign or power he really does believe that that those promises might come true of a US Mexico border and that registry or some type of ban against the Muslim community. Let's start with that. Let's start about how dangerous Donald Trump has been to the Muslim community. Right. So um, I absolutely agree with, um, with Michael Moore. I think that it's, um, that it's very likely that this is um, going to happen. Um, you know, my, my office uh, talks a lot about this uh, internally, um, and, and we just have to be prepared for it. In the event of a terror attack uh, that is committed by someone who claims Islam, or is um, you know is a, is a radicalized Muslim, I think that um, I can you know I can I think we can all see that Trump might actually um, you know implement the policies that he's called for. I think the the one that you are talking about I think is the is is actually they're all worrisome, but. It's probably the most worrisome for me is this idea of registering uh-huh. um, as a Muslim. I'm not really clear on what that would mean for me uh, and um, and for my co-religionists in the you know in the country. He's um, and as you said, he's also called for a complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. So so what does that mean if I'm traveling abroad? Is it possible that I would not be able to come back into the country? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's called for monitoring uh, mosques and, and, and surveilling uh, Muslims. He's also called for profiling uh, Muslims. And so, and this has been going on, of course, during the entire election cycle, not only by him, but by other presidential, uh, former presidential candidates. And it's been going on for some time, I think, since 9 11. Um, there is an industry called Islamophobia that we have in this country. And I call it an industry because. It is it's it's identifiable as a you know a, a group of people that have been funded by a group of foundations that have spent uh, quite a bit of effort in churning out very negative information about Islam and Muslims that they disseminate uh, through the airwaves mm. through. Uh, politicians uh, through campaigns that they have. So this has been going on for some time. What I think Donald Trump has done is he has now mainstreamed it in a way that is very, very, very dangerous because he is the head of the country. Um, And so it's one thing for these crazy Islamophobes to be saying crazy things about Muslims and a whole nother thing for the government to be saying it. Um, and, and, that's, and that's what we have right now. And that's why we should all be concerned, not just about Muslims, as you know, as you mentioned, it's also about LGBTQ communities, about, um, you know, about things that you said about women, things you said about Mexicans and immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very problematic. Mm-hmm. 
it, 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 you know, going back to what you you had just said, I wanted to um, I wanted to to touch on that. If you can give us some specifics or examples, as people might be tuning in for the first time, as far as you know, it being an industry, uh, Islamophobia being an industry, and or you know, Muslims being attacked. It, it, it being an industry, could you could you possibly give us you know some specific examples and or call out or call attention to individuals um, you know who have really been involved in this type of uh, industry? Mm-hmm. Well, so I think it it probably begins with Daniel Pipes, who is um, you know regarded as a scholar who probably is the first one on the scene for me anyway that begins to write about Muslims in you know in in, in very negative uh, ways and takes the work of other uh, individuals and really mainstreams this idea that there's a class a clash of civilizations in the country between the East and the West. Um, Steve Emerson is another individual, Pamela Geller, uh, Robert Spencer, Frank Gaffney, and several other people. And the scary part about it is that many of them are actually advisors um, to the current administration, and some of them are also advisors to other presidential candidates um, in the Republican Party that ran for office. Um, and so not only do they produce literature that is that is quite negative, but they also produce campaigns. So people might remember the Ground Zero mosque um, campaign that happened when um, there was a group of uh, New York Muslims that wanted to expand on a mosque that had that had been in existence for some time near um, the nine um, near the World Trade Center, um, and uh, there was an effort that was led by a Pamela Geller um, against. Uh, that mosque, the building of the mosque, and she coined it as the Ground Zero Mosque. Um, And there were several demonstrations and protests that took place, and I remember this very well because it happened, I think, in August about four years ago or five years ago, and my main concern were the children going back to school Mm -hmm. in September and me contacting the Department of Education to find out if there's anything that they can do and to prepare teachers and administrators on how to talk about this issue um, and also to remind educators about the law, uh, you know, with regard to um, zero tolerance for for bullying and, and and to know how to respond to teasing and harassment when it does happen. It was, so um, the anti-Sharia campaign is another example of that, and this is a group um, that has um, introduced bills uh, throughout the country in different states to ban Sharia. Sharia Mm -hmm. is defined by many Americans as Islamic law, which isn't quite accurate, but um, but it's, but it, it, it can, you know, it can mean that. Um, but it's like it would be like um, banning um, Catholic law or um, you know Jewish law, halakha. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 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 um, unconstitutional to do that. But but and, and they know that right because they're, uh, the the person behind it is a is a is a lawyer. Um, but what they're doing is they're playing on the fears. They're exploiting the anxieties that many Americans have about Muslims and Islam. 
and um, have been very successful in increasing those anxieties and increasing hate um, uh, crimes, incidences, and also fears of mosques being built around the country. I think many Americans and, and neighborhoods are concerned about mosques um, uh, in their midst. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of these campaigns against mosques, of course, are well organized by, by the same groups of people. Um, but those are just, a, a, you know, a, a few examples. Right. Um, Thank you. Which mm-hmm. uh, the scary part is that the list can go on and on and on in, in yeah. years and years and years of anti-Muslim or um, Islamophobia, as you had mentioned, that is ingrained here in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Miao, right. we're speaking with the CEO of Islamic Networks Group, or ING, Maha al Janaidi, and uh, we're discussing, you know, just kind of the, the, what is the Muslim community preparing for, uh, for, you know, one of, I think, the most dangerous person right now here in America when it comes to the Muslim community. Maha, I wanted to, to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. President Obama had been supportive of the federal government in some surveillance programs. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, what I'm talking about would be you know, digital surveillance or uh, any any type of surveillance that, in my opinion, as a liberal person, is a, uh, you know, invasion of our privacy when it comes to, like, our use of our smartphones and or being able to, mm-hmm. you know, hack into our social media and things like that. And and the basis of it has always been, you know, to, to keep our country safe from terrorism. And obviously, for a lot of people here in this country, when they hear the word terrorism, they automatically think ISIS or, uh, you know, uh, a uh, Middle Eastern country or, or uh, the fingers then all pointed to what Donald Trump has done, Muslims. What are your feelings that, you know, this, this new president will now have access to those surveillance programs and how profiling might apply to the Muslim community. Do you know of any activism and or programs or ongoing messages to to educate the Muslim community that, th- that they might be targeted at a very dangerous level than anyone else here in this country once President-elect Donald Trump takes office? Mm-hmm. So I think that, uh, you know, much to the shock of every American um, about the elections, not so much uh, for no other reason, honestly, than, than the polls, because the polls, if you remember, even a day before had indicated that, that the elections were going to go one way. So I think that it was a, it was a complete shock to, to, even, even to, even to uh, Trump, I would say, and probably his supporters, that he actually won. But ever since then, um, the American Muslim communities uh, and the organizations that represent them, especially civil rights advocacy organizations, have been working, I would say, night and day, um, <laughs> you know, 24 hours, seven days a week, organizing with other progressive groups from a variety of, uh, of communities, from the black community, from the uh, Latino and immigrant communities, um, to, um, you know, to resist, as they would call it. Um, you know, looking at all of the things that, you know, as you said, uh, looking at the law today and what is possible, and then coming up with plans for how to resist when these go in full force and when they're expanded, and and they will be. We know that they will be because, um, you know, because um, because he's already indicated that that's what he plans to do, and I and I do think that he's exploiting, and I think that he also may feel that um, you know he, many times he would 
he would call for these policies until we figure out what's going on. If you recall, he would say that. Um, you know, we need to figure out what is going on. We need to com have a complete shutdown of, of, of everything until we figure out what's going on. So I think that there is just so much massive ignorance out there about what is going on in the Middle East or what is going on about Muslims and Islam that it, you know, it's very likely to happen. Um, so, yeah, no, the American Muslim communities, um, the, the civil rights organizations and advocacy organizations like Muslim Advocates and the Council on American-Islamic Relations, uh, the Muslim Public Affairs Councils, and several of these organizations have been really working hard with other progressive groups, um, mm -hmm. you know, try, working on resistance. For the organization like ours, which is mostly invested in education, interfaith engagement, the calls that have been coming in and the requests for our services have been unprecedented. Um, I would say that it's probably near to the levels that um, that 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 uh, that we had that we experienced post 9/11. Um, I think there's a lot of people that want to learn, want to know how to work with us, how to support us, to stand with us, uh, to be allies, and um, and then also to be ambassadors to prevent harm. Um, you know, for example, uh, a great example is Jonathan, um, uh, I, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, from the, the head of the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, the new young guy who replaces Abe Foxman, gets up in front of uh, the Jewish uh, uh, community and says that if a registry of Muslims happens, he is going to register as a Muslim uh, alongside us and stand with us. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, no, yeah. And so, and I think a lot of people have said the same. And so, and that's very heartening and that's mm -hmm. very comforting. And um, so, yeah, no, I think, I think that Trump is, you know, if he does these things which are illegal, unconstitutional, un-American, and they don't work, they haven't worked, you know. We did it to the Japanese-Americans when we interned them post-World World II, and it didn't work. None of those people that were interned were, were charged. Not one of them was ever charged. Um, you know, so we've, we've had the Red Scare. We've had, we've expatriated Mexican-Americans, and, you know, we've, we've, we've done these violations before, and they just don't work. They don't prevent anything. All they do is harm people. Mm -hmm. And so this is nothing new for us and for, for the country, that is. And so I, I do think that people are going to resist. Yes, yeah, I, I believe that, too. And, and, and uh, I want to get back to, to, to this conversation. So I want to talk about how, you know, the Muslim community is not alone and that there are several other communities. And I think if we came together, we could resist together. But I'm going to take a quick break. And uh, so don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the Muslim community, the preparation for Donald Trump and what we all can do to make it a safe place for everyone. Don't go away. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. 
This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Sines, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. On the phone with us is our special guest. She's the CEO of Islamic Networks Group, or ING, Maha El Janadi. Uh, and uh, we're having a, a discussion about the Muslim community and the preparation for President elect Donald Trump once he takes office on Friday. I am going to go there. I'm going to be very dramatic. I think it's going to be a very, very, very scary time. Um, Maha, you before the break, you had mentioned that you know there are already uh, leaders out there, progressive leaders, who had made a vow and are being creative in ways to stand in solidarity with the Muslim community. And so a follow-up question to that, since there are so many other groups who are at risk, um, how can we come together and support the Muslim community? Mm-hmm. How, to be, um, how to be an ally? Well, um, you know, so um, it's, it, it, doesn't happen <laughs> it doesn't happen overnight. I think that um, it would be really important to, um, to do probably a few things um, like, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, listening to what is happening in, in their community, um, you know, attending the, um, the meetings that are taking place. Um, and so, you know, how does a person do that? Well, they might look up uh, Muslim organizations and Muslim communities in their area and um, making a phone call or showing up um, during the time that they have congregational prayer, um, looking for the leadership there and, you know, and just saying that, you know, that you want to offer support or help in any way that you can. Uh, it might be a good idea to come with other people as well from the community or to maybe even do it through your, um, your, your church organization or through your synagogue or, or, or house of worship. Um, but to offer, you know, to offer your services um, by listening to, you know, what their needs are 
Um, I think also getting education about the community and about the religion itself so that if you do have any stereotypes, misperceptions, that you get a chance to clarify them. That's one thing that Muslims, I think, are quite open uh, for right now, and it is to have others learn about them. So no question is a bad question or an inappropriate question. I think Muslims want people to learn more about them. So. Um, so, you know, ask, ask away. They're not going to be insulted. I do this work all the time, and I'm, I actually like the fact that people ask me difficult questions um, than, uh, than for them to be polite with me and, um, you know, or as uh, Trump would say, being politically, politically correct <laughs> and, and, you know, not ask the question that they really have on their mind. I actually uh, seek that, and I think that a lot of Muslim activists that do the kind of work that I do seek that as well. Um, um, you know, being up to date on, on what the issues are mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, getting involved, getting involved in, in, in their communities and, and in um, and progressive communities that are probably now um, involving Muslims as well. I, I mean, I think that I'm, I think it would be safe to say that, um, that the organizing that's happening across the country is now including everyone. Uh, no one is 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 outside anymore. Mm-hmm. Which you know that's one positive thing I think that that has resulted from um, from all of this bashing of people. Right. Um, right. Is that it's really brought people together. Right. <laughs> right. So I think that we're all seeing that you know we're all at risk. So, and so we need to come together. We need to stick together. And exactly. It, yeah. You know, and if you had any prejudices, any biases, any misunderstandings, you're you know you're you're now having to come together. And you're in a in a way you're you know you're being forced to to do that and um, and that's a good thing that's actually a really good thing. So Maha, you know, to follow up on that, you mentioned something um, uh, really important, which is don't be afraid to ask those tough questions. A lot mm-hmm. of the you know a lot of us who actually had family members, as heartbreaking as it was, um, we have to admit it, we had family members who did in fact vote for President-elect Donald Trump, and mm-hmm. and those those family members were you know I've I've heard it consistently. They were very concerned about the safety of of America and were very concerned that nothing was being done regarding terrorism and things like that. And so they they really wanted a president who was going to be tough on terrorism. And Breitbart, you know, the new the conservative mm-hmm. news organizations talk about spreading a lot of rumors that has um, contributed to Islamophobia and the bashing, right? will go in and and say specifically that you know these people for example they'll use that phrase these people really believe in in hate and and do not like christians or or they'll say things like that so let's let's ask that really hard question how do we talk to some americans who it's okay to be concerned about the safety of your country, right? That's not a bad thing. But how do we have a conversation in which to help them understand that, uh, you know, by being uh, Islamophobic or, or grouping the entire community together is, is wrong and that they actually do need to understand how terrorism began um, mm-hmm. in order to keep the country safe? Mm-hmm. That's a great... That's a great question. Before I answer the question, I just wanted to also say and point out to your audience and your listeners that it's not just uh, you know President uh, Trump anymore, but every cabinet, 
well, I think that maybe that may be an exaggeration, but a lot of his advisors, a lot of his um, um, cabinet um, uh, appointments um, actually have a history of either uh, racism, uh, bigotry, or Islamophobia. Um, you mentioned, of course, uh, Bannon, who is probably the most famous of all, but um, several other ones um, are, are very, very problematic. Um, uh, Michael Flynn, for example, his pick for uh, national security advisor has referred to Islam as a cancer. Now imagine referring to an entire religion like Christianity as a cancer or as a political ideology that that hides behind religion. Um, that's just one person. There are a lot of people around him that are like that. And so and so that's why I think that we need to be concerned. And it's not just mm-hmm. bigotry against Muslims, but I think it's bigotry against others as well. Right. Um, but as far as your question about how do we, you know, how do we deal, how do, I mean, so the terrorism is real, um, and there have been Muslim extremists in this country. There have been Muslim domestic terror attacks in this country. San Bernardino is one, uh, what happened in Orlando, um, you know, against against the gay community or against, in, 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 in the gay bar, um, you know, is, a, is another and the way that um, the way that Muslims w- would would want Americans um, to understand is that those people do not reflect um, all Muslims, and certainly if they subscribe to a particular ideology, I'm not convinced that the guy that was behind the Orlando attack subscribed to any religious ideology. I think that there were other issues there. Right. Um, I think that was a mass shooting. Uh, I think that that's that's the category that w- that we should put that one under. I think that he probably exploited, um, you know, Islam, or maybe was trying to cover him for himself under you know under the banner of Islam. But anyway, regardless, um, I think that those th- these I- these extremist ideologies do not reflect uh, normative teachings of of Muslims or um, or Islam historically. And I think that that's probably the most important thing that people need to understand. And also, the most effective way to fight you know, crime in a, in, a, in, a, in a particular community is to enlist the support of the people in that community. And so what Muslim organizations such as ours and, and, um, and other organizations around the country have, have implored law enforcement to do is to work with us to prevent terror. Um, that's that's that that's coming out of the uh, out of uh, out of Muslims and outside out of the Muslim community. Instead of surveilling mosques, instead of racially profiling Muslims, instead of um, you know making all making the Muslim community and Islam as the enemy, enlist the support of the community to work with law enforcement to prevent um, to prevent future terrorism. Um, that's been successful in some cases. Uh, where that has happened, and um, you know, but but it ha- but it hasn't always been successful. I think that there is this attitude, and I think more so now, where um, I think that that it's not going to happen. They're not going to they're not going to work with the American Muslim community um, mm-hmm. because you know we're we're um, hurt by terrorism that's done by Muslim extremists. We're the most hurt because we're the ones that bear the brunt of it, right? Um, in hate crimes, hate attacks, uh, vandalism against mosques, uh, bullying of our kids. Um, according to polls, one out of two Muslim kids is bullied in schools. In some parts of the country, it's eight out of ten or four out of five kids. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, you know, so I would, I, you know, I would tell Americans that uh, don't know very much about Islam to say that, um, you know, these ideologies do not reflect normative teachings They're the, the same way that the Ku Klux Klan and, and other, you know, white supremacist groups that base their ideas on Christianity do not reflect mainstream Christi- Christians. Right. Um, and that the best way to fight um, a crime, uh, any crime really, is to work with the community um, to, 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 to prevent it, not to, not to work against it, not, not to pit them as, as the enemy, uh, we're, because we're certainly not. We're Americans. Maha, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program on Progressive Voices Network and, you, uh, and helping us come together is really what the point of, of having you on and uh, also be very honest, upfront, and direct about the attack the Muslim community is under as we head into this very scary time in American history. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you so much for spending time thank with you. us. Thank you. You're, and and God, may I say God bless you? Yes, you can. <laughs> For your efforts in reaching out uh, to us. So thank you. <laughs> Support the work that ING does. You can visit ing.org. And everyone, that was Maha El Janadi. Don't go away. When we come back, we will talk about women's rights and how women's rights are also under attack with Amy Everett, who's the state director of NARL Pro-Choice. So don't go away. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us today, or joining me, Michelle Meow, your host, uh, the show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between, and I really mean that. Our our last guest 
uh, was a CEO of an organization devoted to the education of the Muslim community. And so for today's conversation, we're talking about uh, the potential threat and or, you know, the what we should be prepared for when President-elect Donald Trump takes office Friday and beyond. Um, and so many groups are under attack, and uh, it's it's this moment of uncertainty for us. And so we've touched on the Muslim community, we've touched on the LGBTQ community, and a little bit in regards to, in regards to women's rights. Um, but I, I really want to dig deep into this, and so our next guest, I think, is the perfect person to have on to discuss what we should be doing to, to prepare to protect women's rights and a women's right to choose. And that is Amy Everett. She's the state director of NARL Pro-Choice California. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's let's talk about this. Um, you know, there's there's nothing that I can say that or anyone can say to me uh, to change my mind that I absolutely 100% believe that women's rights um, continue to be, uh, you know, a, 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 a under threat in terms of undermining the progress that we have made today. I mean, it's always been an ongoing conversation in terms of a woman's right to choose, but I truly feel now more than ever uh, we are in danger of going back decades and decades of work or progress that we've made. What are your feelings? What are your thoughts? Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I think in the past, we've always had a safety net, whether that was President Obama in the White House to veto the severe rolling back of women's reproductive health and rights um, produced by anti-choice controlled Senate and Congress, or we controlled a House and Congress that would stop um, some of the bills moving forward. And today, what we have is an anti-choice Congress, an anti-choice Senate, and an anti-choice White House. Mm -hmm. And so there is no veto power. There is no slowing down power uh, that the pro-choice community has at the federal government. We will, of course, fight like hell on, on the bills that we can win on, but there is the idea that some of the bills and legacies that the anti-choice community has been trying to push forward for years will now become a reality. Some of those, as an example, uh, you know, you've talked about rolling back decades of work. The Affordable Care Act, number one, is with the largest expansion of women's health since Medicaid was created in the 60s. And it covered, it made being a woman no longer a precondition that you got charged more for your health care. It covered no copay. Um, birth control. It made it covered maternity care instead of having to pay more for maternity care. Uh, so it is uh, that in and of itself, all the talk, it has passed the Congress and the Senate multiple times in the last few years, and President Obama always vetoed it. Let's talk about California, um, mm -hmm. because NARL is, you know, uh, you're the statewide director of California. And California has always been talked about as if we are an island <laughs> or, you know, we're, we're just different in terms of, of, of progressive values. Mm -hmm. um, I, would, I would tend to think that California, of all places or, or states, uh, we, we're, we're, we might be considered lucky in this very anti-choice environment we're heading into. Uh, we are lucky in many regards. Um, we have some of the most cutting-edge public policies around protecting women's reproductive health and our privacy, and, and um, our policies reflect the respect and dignity we feel that women should have. 
Um, but unfortunately, we're not an island alone. We are an archipelago at, at a minimum. And in a federal environment, what happens at federal law impacts us as a state. So the other effort that is underway um, in Congress right now is the effort to defund Planned Parenthood. Um, and that really right. just means not allowing them to be reimbursed through Medicaid or, Medi-Cal any, or Medicaid anymore. And that would have seriously detrimental effects here in California to the tune of $260 million um, that is currently reimbursed wow. to um, Planned Parenthood for all the services that they provide, um, which includes, of course, you know, healthcare screenings and cancer screenings and education, et cetera. Um, so making up that amount of money is, you know, California only has a finite budget. And as Jerry Brown recently put out, he feels that we're heading into uh, harder economic times without, without as much money as we once had. So it would impact us. Mm-hmm. Things like that would impact us. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things that impact us are uh, the Supreme Court nominees that uh, right. Trump has said he would put forth. If, and this is the dream of the anti-choice community, is if they can find if they can stack the courts, which they can be close to doing, uh, with enough members and then with the right case to overturn Roe, they would do it. This is not a hypothetical. This isn't some, you know, crazy, the sky is falling. This is going to be a reality um, if the right case and the right openings happen in the next few years. And that will dramatically impact California. People, you know, keep bringing up uh, the question of Roe versus Wade, and and even President-elect Donald Trump had addressed that in several, um, you know, shows or whatever he's appeared on or interviews in which uh, he alludes to saying that, you know, he wouldn't touch that or whatnot. But um, I think that that is even in it's dangerous or or it it could even be a bold-faced lie in some ways that that this administration does, in fact, if they had the opportunity, like you had mentioned, to roll back um, the progress that we have made in protecting a woman's right to choose, they would do it. And we feel very strongly about that. Yeah, and I think he's proven it. I mean, A, I have heard him say that he wants to overturn Roe v. Wade, and in, in his alternate reality, what that means is it would just go back to the state's. But what that means is that your zip code would determine whether you could access abortion care or not. And that is not why you have a federal system. Um, But B, if you look at who he is already nominating, today right now are the hearings for the Health and Human Services Secretary, Tom Price, who is an architect of uh, defunding Planned Parenthood and defunding and undoing Obamacare. And he's voted consistently against Mm-hmm. Uh, women having any autonomy using their own private funds to access abortion care. Mike Pence, his vice presidential pick, he was the architect of shutting down the government over defunding Planned Parenthood. Betsy DeVos, who they're, she, he is nominated for education, um, is one of the most anti-choice uh, philanthropists, if you will, in the country. So whatever he, I mean, who can dissect what Trump says between his tweets and his commentary? <laughs> the proof, as Elizabeth Warren has always said, is personnel is policy. Mm-hmm. And he is nominating some of the most virulently extreme anti-choice people to be in his cabinet and be his vice president. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Amy Everett, uh, who is the state director of NARL, or Pro-Choice California, and we're talking about 
this uncertain time um, and, uh, you know, people's rights being under threat and uh, I think under attack, actually. And there is the potential that we will be moving into uh, an era of regressing uh, the progressive work that we've done here in this country. Um, Amy, I want to talk to uh, talk about I mean, we talk a lot about defunding Planned Parenthood and we talk about it in a way where this is dangerous to women. But for a lot of people who are anti-choice and or think or believe that what it comes down to is this core belief of theirs. Right. In terms of who who decides uh, in mm-hmm. terms of a woman's body, they really cannot even argue or grasp this this uh, the, the same conversation we're having in terms of a, w- a woman's health and having access to a clinic like Planned Parenthood. So my question is, if we repeal the Affordable Care Act and take away Planned Parenthood, where, do, where does that leave women? And not even like, you know, from the perspective of a uh, right to choose, but her health, where does that leave women here in this country? Uh, it's going to leave millions of women in a very compromised position regarding their health because reproductive health, abortion care, birth control, cancer screenings, they're all the same thing. They're basic health care for women. And if you are going to take the funding away from Planned Parenthood, who is, you know, there are a lot of places in this country where there is no health care access, reproductive health care or otherwise, and they fill that gap. They are in places where they are the only health care facility for miles and miles around. If you also then kick 20 million people off of health insurance, you're going to have a lot of people who are no longer um, accessing preventative health care. You're going to have more unintended pregnancy. If you looked at what happened in Texas after um, the bill there passed that ended up closing, um, they went from 40 clinics down to less than nine. You found women mm-hmm. seeking their own solutions, um, going on the Internet, going to Mexico, trying to self-induce abortion. Uh, You were going to go back to what, you know, our grandmothers and sometimes our mothers were facing in terms of trying to access basic care. I mean, the idea that we are in 2017 and still talking about whether or not birth control should be covered and accessible, we've already gone back in time because we're having that conversation. Right, right. One of the resources that you have posted up on the website ProChoiceAmerica.org that I really found to be incredibly helpful in if I'm going to have this argument with several people in my community um, is uh, one that I've downloaded, which is, you know, who actually, who decides? Mm-hmm. And it's the status of women's reproductive rights in the United States because what's important is you know, state by state, it, it, it's a case-by-case situation. And one of the most alarming, um, th- uh, you know, points that I pulled out is there are several states, actually, not just a handful, that are severely restricted in terms of access, which means women already are severely restricted um, in a lot of ways, right? Yes. I mean, I think that, and thank you, Who Decides We Just Released It. It's our annual report on the status of reproductive health care across the country. Um, and, and what it highlights is that there are, you know, reproductive health care deserts in our, in our country uh, where women are not able to access the care that they need. Um, you know, on average, you know, in California, 40% of our counties don't have an abortion provider. In other states, that number is like 97%. Uh, and those clinics are only open one week a month. Uh, 
this is the culmination of, of many years of anti-choice legislation being passed. Mm-hmm. And what I find most disturbing is not only the inability to um, access the health care, but is that it's so out of step and alignment with where the American public actually is around reproductive health care. Seven in 10, 70% of Americans want to make sure that abortion is accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been proven not only with our polling, but polling consistently around the country in the reddest states. And, and so what we need to do is really empower people who believe that to understand that who they are electing is going to impact the ability for their values to be reflected in the laws that are passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that kind of leads to my last and final question. Um, thank you so much for being here with us, by the way, and having this important discussion and conversation. As we head into this, uh, I've been joking around all week, but I'm kind of really not. It's like um, the uh, apo- it's like an apocalypse or something, like a zombie apocalypse that's coming <laughs> come Friday. But um, my my question to you is: I mean, the whole point of of the program today is kind of what are we doing to prepare? There are several groups that are under attack. Uh, how do we? How do we support each other through this resistance movement is what we're calling it. And what, what types of things are we doing today and, and tomorrow and beyond mm-hmm. to ensure that we protect a woman's right to choose? Well, Michelle, I think you really hit the nail on the head is that everybody is under attack. I mean, all progressive values and basic American values in my book are under attack. And so it's really critically important that we not see ourselves first in silos of, I care about climate change, I care about immigrant rights, I care about reproductive rights, but understanding we all need to hold, link arms and be together in our fight. And so Mm -hmm. to that end, I would say to folks that everyday acts of resistance and communication are what is most critical. It is, you know, it is not enough to sit in a coffee shop and rail against what's happening. You then need to pick up the phone and call your member of Congress or your local city council member or school board member and let them know what you expect, how you expect them to reflect your values. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear people talking about, um, about the issue that you might disagree with, actually engage the conversation. We need to be... We cannot be marginalized. It's, not the, it's important that we share our stories and share why we are pro-choice or why we have the values that we have across the board. So I would say everyday acts of resistance, which can range from just having a simple conversation with other people to calling elected officials at any level, local, state, federal, making sure they know where you stand on the issues, um, joining organizations and showing up. There is nothing going to be more powerful than all of us working together and staying strong. And so this weekend is a big weekend. There are hundreds of women's marches around the country happening in response to the inauguration. But we need those millions of people not to just show up this weekend. We need you to consistently show up every single day for the next four years. Amy, thank you so much for joining us here today and doing the work that you do. Thank you, Michelle. 
To support Amy and Narl, or Pro-Choice America, head to ProChoiceAmerica.org and, and start by downloading that very important report, Who Decides the Status of Women's Reproductive Rights in the United States, which will give you a good scope or grasp of, of information or facts that you need um, to help you change the hearts and minds and get everyone together to protect a woman's right to choose. Don't go away. When I come back, I'll have final thoughts and also play a little bit of President Obama's last addressed to the press. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where you, know, you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that you know, we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now, and, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating, but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, Follow your passion, follow what you believe in, follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. Powerful interviews today with uh, Maha Aljanadi, who is the CEO of ING. We had a conversation about the Muslim community and in, in what ways or how we start preparing for president-elect Donald Trump, basically, and his administration and under his presidency, you know, all of his anti or his Islamophobia sentiments, how that's going to come into play. Michael Moore had just announced today that he truly believes that Donald Trump is crazy enough to try to attempt a registry as far as registering Muslims and Muslim Americans here in this country and uh, and doing it by the, this disguise of trying to keep the country safe. We all know what the basis of that is, and that is it's the for, it's a form of hate. It's a form of racism um, and, and Islamophobia. 
So we've got to band together. And then our second interview was with Amy Everett, who's the state director of NARL, or Pro-Choice America, in talking about the threat of a woman's right to choose and the attack that the uh, women's rights have had. And I can't stress enough, you know, what, what we're getting at. So many people are asking me, what should we be doing? And I think a lot of it is we're answering it here on the show. We're talking to each other and we're giving each other tools and resources. We're asking one another to show up and become a great ally. And it had always been that question of how do you become a good ally, especially when there are racial differences. And at this critical moment, I truly believe that some we've got to we've got to learn how to set our bias aside or we've got to learn to address the core of what of what's wrong with our movement and that is the progressive movement i mean you know uh, many many activists will talk about how homophobia how racism how sexism had all come into play that dismantled our own work or or stunted us from actually moving forward and many people will bring up the term neoliberalism um, that exists within the progressive space. But at this critical time, we have no time for such things as that. We've all got to come together. Um, I mentioned before today, President Obama gave his last address to the press. Uh, he talked a lot about the work that he did in his administration. And so I want to find a little clip of that and just play it back for us as we wind down the show. Good afternoon, everybody. Let me start off by saying that I was sorely tempted to wear a tan suit today <laughs> for my last press conference, but Michelle, whose fashion sense is a little better than mine, tells me that's not appropriate in January. Um, I covered a lot of the ground that I would want to cover in my farewell address last week, so uh, I'm just going to say a couple of quick things before I start taking questions. Uh, first, we have been in touch with the Bush family today after hearing about President George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush being admitted to the hospital this morning. Uh, they have not only dedicated their lives to this country, uh, they have been a constant source of friendship, and so uh, we want to send our prayers and our love to them. Really good people. Second thing I want to do is to thank all of you. Um, some of you have been covering me for a long time. As folks like Christy and Lynn, uh, some of you, you know, I've just gotten to know. Uh, we have traveled the world together. We've hit a few singles, a few doubles together. Uh, I've offered advice that I thought was pretty sound, like don't do stupid stuff. Um, and even when you complain about my long answers, uh, I just want you to know that the only reason they were long was because you ask six-part questions. <laughs> um, but I have enjoyed working with all of you. Uh, that does not, of course, mean that I've enjoyed every story that you have filed, uh, but that's the point of this relationship. You're not supposed to be syncophants. You're supposed to be skeptics. You're supposed to ask me tough questions. You're not supposed to be complimentary, uh, but you're supposed to cast a critical eye on folks who hold enormous power and make sure that we are accountable to the people who sent us here. And you have done that. And you've uh, done it, for the most part, uh, in ways that uh, I could appreciate for fairness, even if I didn't always agree with your conclusions. Um, and having you in this building uh, has made 
this place work better. It keeps us honest. It makes us work harder. You have uh, in made us uh, think about how we are doing what we do and whether or not we're able to deliver uh, on what's been requested. For example, every time you've asked, why haven't you cured Ebola yet? Or why is there that still that hole in the Gulf? Uh, it has given me the ability to go back to my team and say, will you get this solved before the next press conference? <laughs> um, I've spent a lot of time on my, uh, in my farewell address talking about the state of our democracy. It goes without saying that essential to that is a free press. That is part of how this place, this country, this grand experiment in self-government has to work. It doesn't work if we don't have a well-informed citizen. And you are the conduit through which they receive uh, the information about what's taking place in the halls of power. So America needs you and our democracy needs you. So my hope is, is that you will continue uh, with the same tenacity that you showed us to do the hard work of getting to the bottom of stories and getting them right. Okay. Um, that's a message. So continue on with the fight. Uh, be tenacious. And uh, that's what we need to do. That's the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining me here today. If you've got any questions and or thoughts, ideas for the show, head to michellemeow.com. 